0: Our scripture reading this evening comes from Psalm 119, just as we have been singing Philip Bliss's song of the wonderful words of life. Here in Psalm 119, we find David's beautiful song to the Lord, praising him for his word. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a poem about the glory of the Lord and the wonder of his word. Each of the sections of this psalm start with one of the Hebrew letters, and each line follows through starting with that same letter as it works its way from the beginning to the end. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 16, and then over to 97 and 112. That's Psalm 119, starting in verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with an upright heart. When I shall have learning, when I shall learn thy righteous judgments, I will keep thy statutes. O forsake me not utterly. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereunto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips, I have declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forsake thy word. And then over to verse 97. 97 to 112. Mew, O oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou, though, hast commanded thus, has made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way, none. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. I have sworn, and I will perform it, that I will keep thy righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much, quicken me, O Lord, according to thy word." Accept, I beseech thee, the free will offering of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. My soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget thy law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. Thy testimonies have I taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us to treasure, to listen, to obey, to memorize, to walk therein. Oh Lord, what can we say that you have given us such a precious gift? But Lord, we come before you even now. Rejoicing in the great gift of Christ our Savior. Lord, we ask that you would lead us by your Spirit. Guide us, help us, O Lord, we ask and pray. Lord, we have come into this place this evening with many things upon our hearts and minds. Troubles, trials, tribulations, struggles. O Lord, we cast them before you. We thank you that our prayers you say in Scripture are a pleasant aroma wafting up before your throne. Lord, we come not in our own righteousness as if we have anything in of ourselves, but yet we come in the name of our Savior. We come in the name of Jesus, who by His holy righteous life, His sacrificial atonement, His glorious resurrection from the dead, Lord, in his name we come. And we cast ourselves before you. Oh, Lord, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. To be led and guided by your spirit. Lord, teach us. Lord, we think of those that are not able to be here this evening. Whether because of sickness or travel. We ask your mercy upon them. Those that are traveling, that you would strengthen them. Those Sick in the hospital. Oh Lord that you would give them comfort. That peace that passes all understanding. Lord that you would bring your word powerfully to their minds and hearts. As we know you do by your spirit. Father. Teach us your word. We desire to be people of your word. To walk therein. Oh Lord revive us again. For we ask these things in Jesus name. Amen. Again, Joshua, welcome. Lord bless as you open the word to Christ. I am glad to be here and send greetings from Perry Sound. I was, when I was with you last month, we started looking at 1 Peter and we're going to continue in 1 Peter this evening in 1 Peter chapter 2, um, I was laughing that today has been quite an interesting day Um, we woke up and we were getting ready to to go to church as normal and as we were preparing breakfast the power goes out on us and it's a beautiful sunny day and so why is the power out and then it dawns on us about three weeks ago we got a letter in the mail saying there is going to be a routine power outage to work on the lines and we're like Oh, we forgot about that. And so you can imagine no power with four little kids running around trying to get them ready for church. So the day started off on a pretty crazy way. and Get to church, Sunday, school, and then onwards to, to Sunday morning fellowship and worship. Um, and then after having lunch, getting in the car and heading up here. And about uh, 45 minutes in, heading up, I realized something. I don't have my Bible or my notebook. (laughs) And I'm looking at the clock going, no, I'm not going to be able to turn around. So I'm very glad I'm not a manuscript preacher. I I preach with my points, and I don't have my points or some of my scripture references with me this morning, but um, we'll pray and let the Lord lead. Um, I I I am very glad for working on this... (laughs) Than this past week, um, so uh, before we jump into the Word, and we will start reading First Peter and chapter one in verse one. Uh, let's just go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you once again, O oh Lord, that we can gather, that we can open your Word. How precious and wondrous is your Word, as we have sung, as we have meditated upon already, the wonderful words of life. Lord, that Your Word is sharp, powerful. Lord, that by Your Word, You work through Your Spirit, by Your Spirit to transform, to mold and to fashion. Lord, we stand in wonder at Your Holy Word. We ask that You would illuminate us and guide us by Your Spirit tonight. Show us wonderful things from your word. Yes, Lord, strengthen, encourage us, build us up, mold us more and more into the image of your Son, our Savior. But, Lord, also rebuke us and correct us. Lord, show us our sins that we may flee unto you, confessing them, knowing that you make us clean. You revive us again, O Lord. Teach us your ways that we may walk indeed follow after you O oh lord guide us for we ask these things in jesus name amen in first peter chapter 2 the first verse says wherefore or therefore and when you acquire something in scripture you always wonder why is the therefore therefore and so because of that we need to get the context of chapter 2 and so we're going to read chapter 1 together 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than the gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen ye love in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Of which salvation the prophets, having inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, which it testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister these things, the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, Be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourself according to the former lusts of your ignorance, but as he who hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy." And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversion received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot." who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth for ever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the gra- glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth for ever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Chapter 2 Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisy, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Peter writes this epistle to the brethren, the the churches scattered all throughout Asia Minor, what we know today as modern-day Turkey a group of people that are going through difficult times and trials. It seems that persecution has begun to happen to these saints. And when persecution really begins, it's difficult. We, we wonder, why, oh Lord, why are these things happening to us? Things are wonderful at first. And maybe you remember a time in your Christian life, especially when you first heard the Gospel and believed the wonders of what Jesus Christ had done for you. The fact that while you were yet a sinner, in the fullness of time, Christ came forth, born of a virgin, to live that perfect, spotless, sinless life, fulfilling all the law and the prophets, going to Calvary with your sin upon His shoulders, suffering and dying in your place. So that you might be forgiven. That you might have eternal life. Rising from the dead on that third day. Victorious. Ascending into heaven. Taking captivity captive. Our prophet, priest, and king. The joy that comes from understanding that you have been forgiven. That you have been reconciled with God. That once you were an enemy. Deserving death and hell and judgment. But now have been made a child. You've been brought in, adopted. You've been clothed in Christ's righteousness. Eternal life is yours in Christ Jesus. And nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. The love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That joy of salvation that bubbles forth. You just want to share it with everyone. Tell everyone the good news of what Christ has done for you. But then trials and troubles come in. People start telling you to to buzz off. Be quiet. They don't want to hear. They get fed up. You begin to become a little bit disheartened. You go, Lord, why? Why can't everyone see? See the wonder of what Christ has done. Maybe we even look at our fellow brothers and sisters in the church and we wonder, where's the excitement? Where's the joy? That Christ... Christ has come and we have been made new. And so our hearts begin to to fill with darkness. And then in the case of the believers here that Peter writes to, physical persecution begins. They've been kicked out of the synagogue, those that were originally Jews, and are now facing the full brunt, as it were, of being under the Roman thumb. For they no longer are protected by being in the synagogues. The Jews were given a special place in the Roman Empire. As long as you were a Jew, you didn't have to bow down to the different idols of the Roman Empire. You didn't have to burn a pinch of incense and call Caesar God, Caesar Lord. But many of those early Christians, as they left the synagogue or were forced out, then entered into this no man's land... Yes, they were worshippers of the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. The one whom the Old Testament speaks of. But his people had forsaken him. And the gospel had gone to the Gentiles. But now, what were they to do? Now they were expected to burn that incense and say, Caesar is Lord. Which no Christian could do, for only Jesus is Lord. And so troubles and trials came upon them that will only intensify as the years go on. Even as Peter writes this letter, he feels the sting of persecution and in a few short years will be crucified for confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. So he writes to our people that are burdened, that are wondering, that are troubled. And he writes to encourage them. He writes them to remind them of what Christ has done for them. To remind them that Jesus Christ came and that he died and that he rose again. And that in Christ we have eternal life. And Peter reminds them that in the here and the now we have troubles and trials and tribulations. We will be refined as gold in the fire. But one day we shall see him. Either he shall come again on that glorious day or we will go to be with him. But either way, Peter calls them to stand fast. Remember the resurrection. Remember the hope of glory. Remember who it is that we worship. A holy, righteous, just God who will one day judge heaven and earth. Peter encourages them to think about the judgment that is to come. One day all things will be set right. There is coming a day where every tear will be wiped away and the judge of all the earth will put everything right. Here and now, it seems that everything's in chaos. You turn on the news and hear of wars, rumors of wars. You hear of injustice here and injustice there. And you wonder, Lord, why? How can a just God allow these things? But one day everything will be brought to judgment. And Peter reminds them of that. Even though it seems that the wrong is right. Even though it seems that darkness is overcoming the night. These things are not so. For holy God rules and reigns. And we can trust in Him Be holy, for I am holy. And out of that, Peter says, this ought to help us as we walk the Christian life. We're not called just to sit back, but yet to progress. We are called disciples of Christ. The idea of discipleship is to follow along, to walk in the way of the Master. And so Peter encourages them to pursue righteousness, to strive for holiness. And as he continues to apply that, we get to chapter 2. And Peter says, Because of these things, because of who Christ is and what he has done, now we as his disciples are called to put off, to lay aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envies and all evil speakings. These things that, excuse me, these things that get in the way of our discipleship. It's gardening season, or at least it will be if we don't have any more frosts. And we all know that when you plant your, your flowers or your tomatoes or everything, you have to be careful to, to weed, to get rid of those weeds, or they come up and they choke those plants. And the same thing is being said here by Peter. Peter says, be careful, for those weeds that are growing in your heart will choke righteousness. They'll slow down your Christian walk. They'll get in the way. They'll choke it. And so we as believers need to be asking the Lord to reveal by His Holy Spirit those things in us, those sins and struggles, revealing them to us so that we might put them to death, that we might, the word is mortify them. The idea there is to take a hot instrument and to poke it in. The idea of a sword, blazing hot, pushed into a wound to catarize it. To kill any bacteria, any germs. We must be on our guard. For here in the flesh, we struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Peter here, lay off, take off, lay aside. Peter wants us to take those things that so easily beset us and to take them off. But more than that, there's a principle within Scripture That we find over and over again, Paul loves using it and Peter loves using it here. The idea of taking off and putting on. Nature abhors a vacuum. If you take something off, if you're covered in dirty clothes and you come inside from being in the mud, you take those clothes off, but you don't then continue the rest of your day naked. You then put something new on. And that's what Scripture again and again speaks of. When we are called to put sin to death, when we are called to lay stuff aside, we're then called to put on or to take up. As Christians, we need to both put aside sin and take up pursuing the fruits of the Spirit. Take up pursuing righteousness and holiness. And we need to be careful because we as Christians can fall into either of these ditches, even in our Christian lives. Even in our preaching, we can be preaching against sin, which we ought to do. Again and again, we ought to be preaching against sin. But if we simply leave it there, and we don't also turn around and then say, so that you might pursue righteousness, we can get ourselves in trouble. There's also the flip side. I think that it's so much easier on this side today. Pursue righteousness, pursue right, but now don't talk about killing sin. Don't talk about what sins need to be laid aside and put to death. We need to have both. And I pray for you guys as a church. I know it's hard when you don't have a, a, a continual pastor. Because it's, it's easy to have imbalances when you have guest speakers all the time. Because I don't know who preached last week. Well, I do kind of know some of the people who are preaching here. My father-in-law being one of them. And you do have a lot of regulars, which I'm very thankful for. And so you get some more regular exposition. You get men who kind of know what's been said in the past and, and build off that. That's an important aspect of ministry. Holding these two things in tension. Because the text will sometimes push you really to speak against sin this week and next week to speak on pursuing righteousness. But the two must be held together. there's pictures online of people who only work out maybe one of their arms maybe you've seen them they're really disturbing big muscle bound arm and the other side is so weak and flimsy and we can easily fall into that in the christian life working one muscle without the other without any balance so peter here begins by saying lay aside and in a second in verse two he'll say take up But first, he wants us to lay aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy. Here, Peter is very much looking at those things in our hearts and our minds that poison our relationships. He's first and foremost thinking of in the church, and then, of course, outside the church. But he starts in the family of God. The idea of malice, the the, the the root word in the Greek is, is a burning, despising within a family. When we hold things against others, and we will not let it go. Malice and guile, hypocrisy, envies, and evil speaking. How easy it is to fall into the trap of speaking good of someone out in the open but behind closed closed doors whispering and attacking that person bickering and fighting peter would say those things that's what we see in the world but that ought not to be in the church if your brother and sister has sin in their life bring it before them even as jesus teaches in matthew if there's a fault in someone bring it to their attention and hopefully, in, in Christ's likeness, they will admit that and seek forgiveness, and then, if it's interpersonal, seek reconciliation. But oftentimes, bickering and malice comes from just someone doing something we don't like in a way we don't like, and we let it sit and bubble its way in our hearts until we just can't stand that person. P- Paul speaks of that in Philippians with Pris- uh, not Priscilla and Aquila. I'm going to forget their names. The two ladies in, in Philippians that are arguing with each other constantly. And Peter, uh, Paul says, ladies, remember, seek peace with each other. Don't let your bitterness break out and destroy in the church. Far too often, there have been churches that have split not over doctrine, but over personalities, over people bumping heads and bickering. We are to put these things to death. Remember, as Peter has just talked about in chapter 1, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Look upon God. Gaze upon Him and see our own sin. See His glory, His righteousness, His justice, His sovereignty, and His love. Gaze upon Him who so loved you that He sent forth His Son. And loved your brother and sister in Christ so much that Christ would die for them as well. Remember why you have been united together in Christ. Put to death these things. Put them to death. Let them have no place in your heart and mind. Pray against them. Lord, help me. Help me to not let bitterness into my heart. Let it not bubble forth into malice and guile. Let me not speak like a hypocrite. But yet my yes be yes and my no be no. May I not break your glorious commandments. What is the second part of the law? To love your neighbor as yourself. And each of these things in this verse are against that. You're not loving your neighbor. You're speaking against them. And so Peter says, put these things to death. Instead, the solution Peter gives, what he wants the believers in these cities to put on, is a desire for the Word of God. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Peter says, be hungry for the Word of God. All four of our children are, are now old enough that they've been weaned. They're no longer needing that milk from their mother. But if you ever hold a newborn baby, what's, what are they doing most likely if they're not asleep? Even if they are asleep sometimes, sucking. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Give it to me, give it to me. I want that milk. Even from the first cry, they want it. Give me milk. Feed me, feed me, feed me. It's a passion. It's over anything else. Give me milk. Our oldest son Samuel used to drink and drink and drink and drink and drink until there was no room in his little body for any more milk. And then finally he'd pass out. And even then as he slept, you could see his lips, milk, 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 milk. But that's the picture that this is to give us. Peter's using this very much on purpose to make us laugh, to make us think about this. Our desire for God's word ought to be like that of newborn babes desiring their mother's milk. And the wonderful thing about a mother's milk is it's perfect for the baby. It has everything that they need to grow and be strengthened. And so it is with the word of God. The word of God has everything that we need to walk with Christ To teach us and lead us and guide us. Oh, that we might desire it. Oh, that we might study it. Oh, that we might read it and memorize it and walk in it. Do we desire the Word? Are we people of the Word? Can we recite the Psalm 119 and Psalm 19 where David rejoices in the Word of God? I always think of Psalm 119, just this huge, long poem of how David loves God's Word. Can we really say the same? Do we treasure it? Remember that when David's writing that, he's talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He probably doesn't have anything more. We're not sure. Maybe judges. But those are what David has, and he's rejoicing in the Word of God. And we, wonderfully, beautifully, have God's Complete revelation to us. Genesis to revelation. In our hands for us to read and treasure. How many saints for 1,500 something years would have loved to be able to have it all in front of them? Instead of having to go down to the synagogue and get one of those big massive scrolls and unroll it and find what they needed to. Because that's what they had to do. Unless you were incredibly rich, you couldn't have a scroll for yourself. You'd have to pay someone to write it painstakingly out word by word, paying for the parchment, paying for the time. It was something that only the very rich could do. It was a very big expense in the synagogues, even more so than building the buildings in some cases, was to get a full copy of the Tanakh. Get a full copy of the Word of God. And those early Christians, as they worked away scribbling out copies of all the letters that were sent, of the Gospels, sending them to city to city. It took 200 years after the death of the apostles to make sure that most churches had everything. And even then, there were some still missing certain books. They had to go. Can you imagine if you wanted the book of uh, Ephesians? You had to wait until it made its way to your city. Because maybe those people over in Philippi had it right now, and your church only had Philippi, or Philippians. Naming the cities, whatever. They didn't have those names yet, so they can be whatever. Uh, (laughs) um, But those books. And when you got it, someone would maybe make a copy, but then you'd still have to go to whoever had the book that day. Interesting, during the early persecutions of the church, they valued the Word of God even over their own lives. One of the things that was asked by those that were doing the, the Inquisition of seeking out those Christians to eliminate them, they'd ask, where are your holy books? And They would say, you have to kill me. I'll never tell you where we've hidden the wonderful words of life. They refused even to their own life to tell where they had hidden the Scriptures. Oh, that we might desire. Oh, that we might thank God that He has preserved and given us His Word. Many of us have copy after copy sitting on our shelves. But are we diligent students thereof? Do we seek to make a regular study, a regular reading of the Word of God? One of the the fascinating things when you look at Scripture is that we are commanded to be students of the Word. We're commanded to be in the Word. We're commanded to memorize the Word. But we're never given... Any sort of time frame. And what I mean by that is, there's no commandment. John doesn't say, now remember to rise at 6 o'clock every morning and read two chapters. And Peter doesn't say, also in the evening at 9 o'clock you ought to read three chapters. And, And Matthew says, "Oh, also remember to read Psalm 119 every day. No, that's not given to us. Scripture gives us the principles of being students of the word, but it doesn't lay upon us any burden in that regard. But the idea is that we should regularly be in the scriptures. The Jews had their set times of prayer, morning, afternoon, and evening. We see that as Daniel, day by day, would go up to his room, open up the, door, the windows facing Jerusalem, and would get down and pray. He'd recite the scripture that he had memorized, and then pray before the Lord. Ought we as Christians to set aside some time during the day where we read God's Word and meditate upon it and seek to memorize it? Day by day, be in the Word. Some of you might have signed up way back in January for read the Bible in a year. And if statistics are true, most of you have stopped somewhere in Leviticus and you haven't gone any further. But don't be tied up in that, don't let that get you down. Be in the Word. If you can't read the Bible in a year, that's fine. Set aside time and read through the Gospels. Start slow. Build up. Treasure the Word of God. Many of you might have devotional literature that you read every day. And devotionals are good. We have Spurgeons morning and evening. You have daily bread. You have all sorts of different devotional material. And that's good in and of itself. But the one thing to be careful about in devotionals are devotionals are like matches. When you have a match, what do you do? You strike it and it bursts into flames. And it burns for a few seconds, but then what happens? It goes out. But what is a match made to do? It's made to light something. You take that match that bursts into flames and you put it to a candle. And the candle wick catches fire and the candle burns and burns and burns and burns. And that's what devotionals are designed for. To light the flame as it were. That we might go into the Word and be fed thereby. God has promised to bless His Word, not those devotionals per se. And so we need to be careful that we don't let devotionals actually take us away from the Word of God. And every writer of those devotionals will be horrified by that. They want us to be people of the Word. They're guiding us so that we might read more of the Word. Each of those devotionals has Scripture references. Look them up, read them, meditate on them. Be people of the Word. Strive as much as you can to set aside a regular time during the day to be in the Scriptures. That regularity helps. If you just say, well, I'll just try to read a a chapter or two or something during the day. If you don't set aside the time, it just won't happen. It just won't happen. Set aside some time. If you miss a day, don't worry about it. Just start again the next day. Read the Word. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Word has power as it is used by the Holy Spirit. God will bless His Word and His Word will not return void. It's amazing how words that we've read and thought over in the past will be brought to our minds in the midst of struggles and difficulties and trials. We're like, where did that come from? And I've heard testimony and testimony and testimony of people saying, the Lord brought this Scripture into my mind. Like, I haven't looked at that Scripture in a while, but it just came powerfully to my mind. We need to be in the Word. And we need to strive to memorize the Word. Memorize it. In the past, this was so much more present because people didn't have the Word written out for them. What they had, they had to memorize We in our day of of pulling out my phone and it has all the Bible in and it's right there. And it's great because if I'm sitting down in a coffee shop with a gentleman from the reservation, I can find whatever native language is his heart language, his home language, and I can find it for him and he can read it if he wants. It's wonderful. It's amazing. But yet we ought to treasure it in our hearts so that we know it. Start memorizing the Word of God. And start small. Start memorizing a verse here or there. I always recommend to people, start with the Romans Road. Memorize those verses in Romans. Beautiful, wonderful verses. Move on to Psalm 23, Psalm 1, maybe 1 Corinthians 13, the great love passage. But let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Memorize the Word of God. Growing up, there was a gentleman that I knew that had the majority of Scripture memorized. And it's because his job was a trucker. He would truck all the way from Simcoe, Ontario, all the way down, I think, to Texas. Just a single guy in his truck. And what he'd do, first with tapes and then with CDs, put them on and listen to the Scriptures. Again and again. He said he wore out 12 sets of tapes and a couple CDs but that's what he do. He just listened to Scripture, and he said, honestly, he's like, sometimes I won't be paying attention to what was being said. But over time, he says, after you listen to something a couple hundred times, it gets into your head. And he did. He could memorize. He could just start reciting whole books of the Bible. I've never met someone who, who could just memorize that much. Now he would he would laugh. He says, you tell me chapter and verse, and I I'll, I won't be able to help you. But you start me on a verse, and I can just keep on following from that on and on and on and on. But the word of Christ was dwelling in him richly. He made it an effort to memorize the word of God. And that's even for us. There's something wonderful about putting on a CD or MP3 or whatever of God's word and listening to it. Even as we travel, that the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And as you feed on the word, you'll find yourself hungering more and more for the word. It's the wonderful thing about scripture. As you eat, you get more hungry Not that you're not satisfied. You are, but you want more and more and more and more. You want to feed on the Word of God. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word. And as you study and read the Word, meet together to discuss the Word. We in our North American culture have gotten into... um, really individualistic ways of reading Scripture in the fact that we read our devotionals and yet we don't come and discuss it and talk with each other. There's something about sharing how the Lord led you and taught you from His Word that day with others. And they can share what the Lord has been teaching them as they've been reading Scripture as well. Something of that building each other up. The one with each other. And as we gather week by week, Sunday by Sunday, I think Wednesday or Thursday for you guys for for Bible studies, feeding on the Word together, hearing the Word proclaimed. Our desire. Hence why in Hebrews we're called not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. One of the reasons is that we might be under the ministry of the Word. That we might hear the Word proclaimed and exposited. That we may feast thereon. Hunger, hunger for the Word. And it will satisfy. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that they may grow thereby. Verse 3. If so, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. As we feed on the Word, we learn more and more about the Lord. We see how gracious He is, how satisfying He is. God has given us His Word. God has given us His Word. Something that we can fall into as Christians is we don't stand amazed that God has spoken. There's a song that we sing at Perry Sound. God has spoken by His prophets. Spoken His unchanging Word. God has spoken. The Creator and Sustainer of all things has spoken Unto us. He has given us His Word that we might know Him, that we might worship Him, that we might be transformed evermore into His image, that we might know who He is. He has revealed Himself to us. What wonder! God has spoken. God has spoken. It seems that that we can think, oh yeah, of course he's spoken. The Holy One has spoken to us. He has spoken to us. So it's grace and mercy in Genesis when Adam and Eve eat of the tree and fall away in rebellion from God. What does God do? God comes down into the garden and pursues them. There is joy. God comes down. Theophany, and appearing of the Lord. And He pursues Adam and Eve. Why? Yes, there's a curse. But there's also a blessing coming. But the blessing happens even before God opens His mouth because God is in the garden going after Adam and Eve. Have you ever thought about that? God shows up. He wants to speak with them. What are they? They are rebels and enemies. They have rebelled, and according to the word of God that he spoke to them, when you eat thereof, you shall surely die. They deserve judgment and wrath, but yet God is coming to speak to them. Yes, in judgment, but also in blessing, to give the promise of the coming Messiah that will crush the serpent's head. God has spoken. Even though we don't deserve it, we deserve death and hell for all eternity. Yet wonder upon wonder what love is this. Even while we were yet sinners, God has spoken and God sent forth His Son, the ultimate word. How wonderful. God has spoken. Do we treasure God's word? Do we feast upon it? Are we satisfied by it? O taste and see that the Lord is good. Here is the bread of life. Here is the word of God for us and for our salvation, for our sanctification, for our growth in grace and truth. Here is that which will make sin in us take flight and strengthen us so that we might pursue God with heart and soul, mind and strength that we might be united together as brothers and sisters, that we might pursue Christ, run the race, fight the fight, for the high calling in Christ Jesus. O taste and see that the Lord is good. May we, like newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that we may grow thereby. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, teach us. Make us students of your word. Deepen our love for it. O oh Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word. Lord, many men and women laid down their lives that we might have your word in front of us. Lord, may we treasure it, for You have spoken. Herein are the words of life. Herein are the words of a holy, righteous, just God. Wonderful words of love, wonderful words of truth. O Lord, showing us our sin, pointing us to Christ, the only way of salvation, in Christ, in Christ alone. He who bore our sins on Calvary, that we might be reconciled, redeemed, saved to the uttermost. O Lord, let us feed on your word. Open our minds, open our hearts. Give us that hunger and that thirst that we might find quenched in your word. Help us to memorize and to read, Lord. For some it is hard, hard work to set aside that time to read. Hard work to to set aside that time to, to memorize. But oh Lord, help us. We cannot do it in and of our own strength. But Lord, you have promised that you would help us and guide us. Lord, we even pray as it says in James, if any lack wisdom, let him ask of God and you would give bountifully. And Lord, we know that wisdom... We find in your word. So help us to memorize it. Help us to treasure it. Oh, lead us, oh Lord. We thank you for it. And help us to to share it. Your word will not return void. And as we memorize your word, help us to use your word as we seek to evangelize. As we seek to call others to repentance. Call others to look unto Christ and live. And Lord, as we encourage each other as brothers and sisters, may we speak your words. Oh Lord, we thank you that you are high and holy, righteous, just, and true. Oh Lord, we thank you. You have spoken. May we treasure your word. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.